Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 7, Episode 27, The Problem of Originality. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. And that's what we always say. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're completely unoriginal. Um, Okay. Let's talk about this. Uh, this is actually a Dan-suggested podcast, wasn't it? Um, that you've been thinking about a lot lately because yeah. we talk a lot about originality, how important it is to be original, and yet at the same time, it's possibly be too original. Yes, it is. And uh, the, the reason that I started thinking about this particular topic was uh, the movie Avatar. And I talk about Avatar all the time on Writing Excuses for some reason. I don't in the rest of my life. But anyway, um, this movie came out and it made like a gazillion dollars. And everybody loved it except the sci-fi fantasy community all whined and whined about how, so, how derivative it was. And yes, it was. But on the other hand, it was really good, you know. Uh, it was it, it technically was, really good. It, it was the best version of that story even though it was a story we'd already seen before. And so I really start to wonder if maybe we as a community are overvaluing originality. If we're trying to, you know, originality trumps entertainment in a lot of cases. And, well, I, and I don't know if that's the right way of thinking about it. Aragon is the same example. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very similar in that if you had not read all of the books that were similar to it, it was mind-blowing. And... Mm. It makes me wonder if the ones, things that we've latched onto as our great examples of originality were simply the first ones we read. Yeah. Or even the first ones that were mass distributed rather than the ones that were actually the truly original ones. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I, uh, I've, I've said this before. <laughs> if I pee far, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Harry. I'm... I'm uh, spraying satire in all directions uh, from science fiction that I've read, and I've never heard it called satire before. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I I should just call urine urine, I suppose. Um, I uh, or getting I love... down on Friday. <laughs> yeah, well, clean rating. Clean rating. Clean rating. <laughs> okay, so I'm opening the pod bay doors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone, I'm stealing the microphone from Howard. Um, oh it, there's no. a good story with this, though, um, for me. Did you actually? Yes, yeah. I, I have. A, I have a point, and that is that uh, there are dozens and dozens of ideas out there that, uh, when I put them in the comic strip, I realize this is kind of derivative. Uh, David Brin's Uplift series, the whole idea of uplifting animals mm-hmm. uh, so that they are sentient, so that we have you know, intelligent company, uh, you know, prior to aliens showing up. Well, it occurred to me that uh, if you've got the technology to do this, why wouldn't you do this? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's going to have happened in the Schlock Mercenary universe. What are they going to call it? Well, 
I'm going to call it uplift, and then I'm going to apologize to David Brin, but I'm going to tell jokes about it in ways that point out aspects of it that perhaps Brin didn't. And, you know, he and I have had this conversation. He's happy to have contributed something to culture, and I'm happy to have been able to uh, take it in a new and fun direction. Uh, point of information, he did not invent the term uplift. That was invented by missionaries talking about visiting Africa. Wow. Wow. Oh. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> Steering away from that. Uh, Goodness. Um, no, uh, but I'm, yeah. it, and as uncomfortable as that topic is, right. uh, this is a, a point of uh, exactly on point, which is that every concept has been done. Yes. And this is, you know, I wonder if this, this podcast is going to be any use to you listening, because this is the sort of thing that writers really worry about. Mm -hmm. And yet we have no answers. Usually we have answers, even if they're the wrong ones, or even if we've just made them up. Um, a good example, I just wrote um, last summer, I wrote a novella called Legion, um, about a, a guy who um, uses his various uh, schizophrenic delusions as his own super team to pull off heists. Um, yeah. Well, I now I'm releasing that novella, and someone says, hey, did you know there's a Marvel superhero called Legion who is multiple personality and uses his multiple personalities to um, each have a different superpower? And my immediate thought was, well, crap. Um, of course Marvel's done it, because Marvel has done everything, and if they haven't, DC has done it. Um, and yet, at the same time, it's, it's one of those really kind of bothering things to, to you to realize this thing that I thought I came up with is not original. And yet, you know, in the back of your head, yes, none of it is. But yeah. please just don't tell me about it oh, so I can pretend when, for a little while. When, yeah. when I sold the first serial killer book, right. uh, I had a talk with my editor. And, you know, we talked for about an hour about all these great things and how we were going to sell the books. And he said, oh, and by the way, have you ever heard of Dexter? And <laughs> I said, no, I haven't. And what is it? He said, I don't know what it is either, but my girlfriend said it was kind of like this. Let's go out and, and watch it, and then I'll call you tomorrow night. And our conversation the following night was, well, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's already kind of hit the heroic serial killer really, really hard. And, yeah, and I, we were really concerned. And then it actually hasn't been an issue at all. So mm -hmm. I had a, a similar thing when I, had, when I wrote uh, Shades of Milk and Honey. Uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell right. did not come out. And part of the reason that I, wanted, that I thought, ooh, this is great, is because... I didn't see anyone playing in the Regency at that point. Mm -hmm. Right. And then not only, like, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell came out, and I had the oh, crap moment, and then read the book and was like, oh, this is actually nothing like mine. And then the whole Jane Austen with zombies. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, well, now, which to, is, you, uh, go, go ahead and finish if, you have a, if you're going somewhere else. Uh, jump in. Okay, I was going to say that this is kind of the, the, the point that yes. I wanted to make, which is that originality in some cases is not the end-all be-all. Um, I also wrote a uh, Blacker Dark, Night of Blacker Darkness, mm -hmm. which is the e-book I released last year, uh, was written you know, years and years before all of these you know, Doctor Strange and things like that, or Mr. Strange, whatever. Um, and uh, at the time, it was too weird. You know, it was, I guess, too original, you could say, because there was nothing else like it. I would send it to editors, and they yeah. would say, yes, this is good, but how on earth am I going to sell this to anyone? And now, 10 years later, it's very easy for me to put it up as an ebook, and people will say, oh, I love this because I already loved these mm -hmm. other things. Right. And so in that case, originality was kind of hindering it. Well, yeah. this, to me, or for me anyway, this comes back to, uh, or rather, orbits around the central problem of anxiety of influence. 
where mm -hmm. you've consumed something and you are now worried that what you are creating is like it, or you are creating something and somebody comes to you and says, hey, have you seen this or have you read, have you read this? Uh, and you yeah. look at it and you're like, oh gosh. For me, it was Firefly. Mm. Uh, I'd been doing Schlock Mercenary for a year and a half and somebody said, oh, there's this new series on Firefly and it reminds me so much of Schlock Mercenary. You should totally watch this. And I admit, and, and I admit this fearfully because, because I know I'll get, I'll get hate mail. I admit that I prayed that Firefly would have an early death <laughs> so that I oh, couldn't man. be influenced by it anymore. And I didn't watch it. Well, um, and then it now died. our last episode of writing excuses yeah. because Thanks the internet's going to kill us all. <laughs> yeah. No, no, um, just kill Howard. The rest of us are okay. We love it. I then <laughs> went out and watched it uh, years later. Um, I you know, got, the, got the DVDs, watched it and realized, oh, this is different from what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad I wasn't watching it because I would have taken some of the things that I love most about Firefly and I would have put them in my strip um, because I wasn't yet a strong enough writer to uh, to overcome that anxiety of influence. No, that's actually something that I I do with the uh, the things I'm writing is that when I'm actually writing them, I, I actually try not to read contemporary Regency things, but in between I do so that I know what other people are doing. Like mm -hmm. Madeline Robbins has an alternate Regency which I adore, um, and I'm really glad that I was reading them because I almost I almost you know, went exactly the same plot route that she did completely by accident. And just being aware allowed me to, to do some different things. But when you're writing, as I recall you saying, you read stuff, in you between. read, you, well, but you read period stuff yes. from the Regency in order to find that voice. Right. Um, hey, writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues 
for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Let's stop for Book of the Week. Okay, Mr. our Book of the Wells. Week this week is Sharps Rifles by Bernard Cornwell. And Cornwell is an author that I've talked about a lot before, uh, specifically his uh, uh, King, uh, I can't, now I can't even remember, Alexander the Great, that, that series. But, um, or Alfred the Great, sorry. But Sharps Rifles is about a uh, rifleman in the Napoleonic War who is uh, raised up to become an officer, kind of jump ranks uh, to what was usually the, only the nobles were allowed to be officers. And there's like 30 or 40 Sharps mm -hmm. books easily. And frankly, most of them are the same story. And this is, you know, to the point of our podcast here, uh, you read two or three of them in a row and they start to really feel derivative and old. Whereas if I read one of them every couple of months, I love them. They're some of my very favorite books. Cornwell's one of my very favorite authors. And so uh, if you haven't read the Sharps series, please go pick it up. Uh, Sharps Rifles is the first one he wrote, but it is not the first chronologically. Okay. All right. Shoot on out to... <laughs> I'm so sorry, everybody. To uh, audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, and you can kick off a 14-day free trial membership and have a download of Sharps Rifles by Bernard Cornwell. Correct. Now, I want to just make mention of I often say that I worry that epic fantasy is not original enough. And this is seem, flies directly in the face. I guess it's the other side of this. Because I do think we are writing in a genre, um, or genres, where originality is prized and valued. And I don't think that all of that is wrong. Now, what you're saying is, maybe we should not prize it quite so much. Mm -hmm. If we've seen something done once or twice, and someone kind of comes along and does it, that's not a re reason to dismiss it any more than maybe, you know, Harry Potter was not original, and yet Harry Potter was awesome. But I still think that we should be pushing some, um, our writers to be more original. So how do we reconcile this? Well, we often talk about the fact that the, um, that the idea is not the hard part, that mm -hmm. it's the actual, actually writing it. And so one thing that you can do is even if you're, you know, you're afraid that your idea is not original, that you, you look at it and in the process of writing it, try to push that idea farther. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have the idea of, um, you know, giant crustaceans and you're like, well, Brandon Zanderson has already done giant crustaceans, that I can do giant battle crustaceans in an arena. Right. You know, or but you take the idea and you run with Man, it Man, I was going to do that now. Sorry. <laughs> well, and to... My at, at risk of just you know playing with metaphor instead of specific examples, I think as you as you push as you push the envelope of the of the familiar, mm -hmm. um, you know you look at these things that are familiar that you also want to write because you think that they're cool, which is often how a lot of us start writing. Yeah. Um, what you push that envelope and write it, push that envelope and write it, and at some point you're going to push it and push it and push it and push it right over a cliff and find something that for you feels just completely fresh and wonderful, go ahead and write that because you're passionate about writing it. Mm -hmm. Don't worry that someone else may have done it because you writing passionately about something that feels fresh 
has a better chance of sounding original and resonating freshly for the audience than anything else you could hope to write that, that may or may not be completely unique. Yeah, I'm not terribly worried about the person who comes to me and says, boy, I had this great idea, I was working on things, and then I saw that you did it in one of your books, and so now I have to go to the drawing board. My response to them is always, no, no, go ahead and do it. Yeah. The ones I'm worried, I worry about are the ones who just take for granted what their fantasy setting will be or should be. Mm -hmm. yes. um, and that's yeah. what worries me. Um, though I do want to say there is also the issue of your orc, your take on orcs is not going to be as original as you think it is, um, yeah. which is a conversation we used to have a lot with our friends who would say, well, yeah, but my orcs are this. They're still orcs. Yeah. Um, and so there's a balance here. There's a push yourself. Be aware that you want to try and do original things, but you can't be hampered by your own fear that you're not going to be original. Well, and on the other side is the problem of people who are just desperately original and trying way too hard. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you have to consider the story first. And if you are putting, for example, giant crustaceans into your book because horses are too normal, Right. then maybe you haven't really thought about it. If, on the other hand, you have a very good reason and have a very good story to tell about those giant crustaceans, then it's going to work. You know, actually, um, I've had people mention this to me before, that it bothers them. I have a friend that it bothers them. Every time there's something that's not a horse in a fantasy novel that's fulfilling the same role that a horse does and acting just like a horse, why not have horses? I think there are good arguments for not having horses, but it is something to think about mm -hmm. that if you're just being original to be original, mm -hmm. there's a step beyond that to be original to enhance your story. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and I would say for a lot of aspiring yeah. writers out there, if a horse is what your story needs, then just use a horse. Yeah. You know, right. there's no need to come up with something amazing and new. Yeah, but I think the thing about you know pushing things to the next step is that look at whether or not there is something that it's like, well, so I can have a horse and it'll do all of these things, but are there other possibilities? If I use something else, what does that do for my story? Well, mm -hmm. you know, bringing it back around to uh, Avatar and then exploring the concept a little further, the horses that they had in there were things that you controlled telepathically mm -hmm. with your air nerve <laughs> thing. Thank okay. right. You yeah. make it sound Which, silly. Um, I know, I, I do make it sound a little silly. Well, no, here... But consider this for a moment. You've got a horse that you, uh, you know, that you control telepathically through a physical link, and and as a result of this, there is a huge metabolic price that you, the rider, pay to the point that it's almost not worth it to ride the horse. You know, it's uh, right. you know, not just not just you know dragon riders of Pern level, but uh, you know the point. There's almost no reason to ride the horse. Now come up with a plot reason why you would actually engage in that and you know and get on that animal and put yourself through that that sounds mm -hmm. like our writing prompt that sounds like a great writing prompt and we are at the end of our episode so let's oh, go ahead oh my goodness i accidentally gave you a writing <laughs> prompt that forces you to put a character in pain wow imagine that <laughs> nice work howard and How you original. all are out of excuses now go right life's better with american family insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.